Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just wondering if you guys were gonna sing the the theme song. Yeah. Okay. Hello, welcome to the Pineapple Podcast. I'm Tyler. This is Josh. Hey, I'm Josh. In the back, we've got... I said you were Josh. I know. In the back, we've got Dave. (laughs) You're so mean to Josh. (laughs) Just kidding. Right off the bat, this is just (laughs) setting the tone for the episode. Hostility in the air. Hello. Welcome to Pineapple Podcast. (laughs) My name's Tyler. This is my friend here, Josh. (laughs) You still say hello. (laughs) Hello. Welcome to the Pineapple Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Josh. I'm Dave. And we have a special guest here. I'm Howie. Howie Wowie. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. It's been a while. It has been a while. Um, I guess the last time we hung out was the jam night here when we were loud. Yeah, and that was like, I feel like that was like a year ago or something. And then before that, it was like... Years. Years, uh, like 10 years since pretty uh, much, yeah. Like, Josh, I haven't seen you since th- back then, yeah. Yeah, this is the first time I've actually been here with Howie in person for I could even probably say 12 years and throw it time. out there. It feels that feels pretty accurate. Time's a bit of a blur these days, anyways, but it's yeah. been a while. But you've still been playing the bass, slapping the I bass, have, yeah. Long story short, uh, we, me and Josh, played in a band with Howie's brother, TJ, and we lived in a band house together and we got to spend a lot of time hanging out. Yeah, we did. And, uh, well, well, I got you guys here. I, I want to apologize to both of you because I feel like I was such a major jackass idiot. No Because, like, when you guys were living in that house with, with my brother, I, I had, like, just gotten off of, like, my first pro band and, like, we were doing pretty good, but like I thought I was hot shit, and you guys were like trying to tour and do all this stuff. And I was thought, oh, here, here is Howie. I'm gonna hold court and tell you guys how to do it. Not even knowing that you guys are like hanging out with like textbook strategy at the same time, and you know, it's, uh, I never noticed that. I didn't feel that way. Apology accepted. Accepted. <laughs> yeah, accepted. So, it's been a long time. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. No, yeah. but it was, it was a good times back then. Like it was a. Uh, a lot to learn from each other at the time because you you were doing totally different stuff than what we were doing, and we always thought that was super cool. Yeah, actually, I, I was pretty envious of like what you guys were doing because you guys had the whole band thing going on, and you guys were playing like cool music, you know, like that melodic metal thing going on. And I, I felt like I was kind of like selling out a little bit because at the time I was playing in like a radio pop rock band, and you know, I was. My heart wasn't totally in it. I was more doing it for, you know. Because it worked? Yeah, so I could be on a tour bus and be out on tour, right? And make, uh, you know, just enough money to maybe buy, like, a Subway sandwich every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a tough challenge, like, making the choice between, like, you know, say if the people in the band aren't working or pulling their weight, like, moving on. And for us, we kind of just made a made a team and then we just stuck with them no matter what right so whereas you probably were a bit more like a hired gun kind of thing i was totally a hired gun um yeah so like well actually i guess maybe that'd be a good place to start 
uh, when I was, I think, 20, I answered an ad on Craigslist to be the lead guitar player in a, in a band that was, you know, supposedly had songs on the radio and whatnot. Um, and then I, so I was living in Victoria at the time, practiced some songs, filmed them on, you know, yep. filmed them on a phone, send them off. And then, or I guess we wouldn't have had phones that do video back then. I don't know. But, uh, email. Yeah. Emailed some stuff off, got an audition and then went to this audition at, uh, was it Little Mountain Sound? Okay. Uh, yeah. What's it called I now? The Rock Space. I actually don't know what it's called now. I also am not. But aware I remember of Little its Mountain. Current name. Yep. Oh well, yeah, Little Mountain Sound, where uh, Metallica did parts of the Black Album, and I think Motley Crue did some stuff there. But anyways, yeah, they turned into a jam spot, and it was like a. I don't know if you guys have ever heard the term cattle call. No. Where like it's an open audition, and they have like just like lines and lines of players. And that's that's what it was. It was like I'm sitting there and like with a, you know, a bunch of other guys with their guitars and everyone's thinking, oh, I hope I get this gig. I hope this, I get this yeah. gig, right? Off this Craigslist ad. Off a of Craigslist ad. And uh, I went in there and there's like you know management and the band and I think there was a stylist there and like a publicist and you know everyone's all checking everything out. Uh, and uh, yeah, played a couple songs casually mentioned that i'm not a guitar player i'm a bass player and then i ended up getting the gig because the bass player was actually a guitar player perfect <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah and so that was pretty cool because then i spent the next two years basically on a tour bus traveling around north america and uh yeah we had a couple songs on the radio music videos on much music mtv we had some stuff in like video games I think we were in one of the NHL games and maybe oh, one awesome. of the GTA games. What was the name again? Did you already say it? I did not. What is it? The name was Britt Black. Which, oh, uh, I remember Britt Black. Yeah, she I was well. the former guitar player for Biff Naked and had uh, a band called Live on Release. Okay. Yeah, and uh, Britt and I are, st are still cool to this day. Uh, I saw her... I think at the very last concert I went to, which was the Black Halos, who were hanging out and catching up. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a long time ago when Britt Black was. Uh, she, did she? What's she under now? What is she still playing? No, no. She she got out of the industry, but she played. Uh, she continued on her own thing, and then she joined um, some other band that's actually kind of had some success but i forgot their name for some reason uh, lily lilac something like that huh doesn't matter <sighs> maybe cut that part out <laughs> <laughs> this is the different voice cuts in with the band name lily black lily black yeah, yeah. <laughs> tiger lily <laughs> just keep throwing out the names until yeah. we get it. We'll get there eventually. I thought she, I thought she played with Todd Kearns or something for a bit too. No, but Todd Kearns was actually on the same label, and I think he played on Britt's album. Maybe so, that's why. so that's how I got to meet Todd, which was super pretty, cool. Super cool, and he's such a rad dude. Yeah, he seems awesome. Yeah, he's a super genuine, awesome, awesome dude. And I, I remember like uh, the first time meeting him, and I'm like. Hey, I'm Howie. And he's like, yeah, I know who you are. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Job well done. Yeah. Do you ever yeah. find that remote control? 
<laughs> Just splicing yeah, the song. Awesome. He's awesome. For everyone yeah. who wasn't born <laughs> when we were to understand yeah. that reference to yeah. Age of Electric. Yeah, that's a yeah, totally. Remote controls were used for yeah. TV sets. <laughs> what the other song Ugly, that was a sick sick song too. I don't think I remember that one. I'll cut it if it's not if that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very cut heavy intro right yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, we're in the rising action. <laughs> <laughs> Snip. <laughs> Cuts everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, so that was your first the first band. Yeah, that was my first pro band and like pro that's band. when I met you guys and uh, you know, I thought it was hot shit. Are you too good for us. Well, not too <laughs> I didn't think I was too good for you guys. It's just like I I I thought I was, you know, you just made, knew. I thought it was a superstar, basically. You, you know? ready to show us the way. Uh, yeah, I, w- I wanted to, you know, spread the gospel, and, but I really didn't know anything. I was yeah. a fucking idiot. Well, I remember you pulling me aside and saying, you really got to dish this Josh guy. <laughs> <laughs> Which camera do I look into to look sad? <laughs> yeah, this one. <laughs> I mean, Tyler, he plays the bagpipes. Come on, yeah, man. That's... Are you corn? Are you yeah, corn? Are you corn? <laughs> so after Brit Black... What was the next step? Um, after Brit Black, well, basically what happened was um, one day I just got a phone call. Hey, we're dropped from the label, but you better get a job. I was like, oh, okay. It was like, it was quick. It was like, bam. Uh, I ended up moving in with my girlfriend and um, I started, I don't know, just bumming around looking for a band. Um I started playing with uh, a, a band called Duval Star, which was like a power pop band. And then um, Scotty Sachs, who was the drummer for Biff Naked at the time, called me yep. up and said, hey, I, I need a, a bass player for a two-month tour across Canada. Do you want to do it? And so I jumped on that. And it was with uh, the original singer from Nickelback. Oh, what? So before Nickelback was Nickelback, uh, they were called Village Idiot. <laughs> and Chad was the drummer. No way. Yeah. And uh, this guy, Scott Holman, was the singer. And somewhere along the line, uh, Scott left the band. Chad became the the singer. I don't know if they got uh, What's-His-Nuts on drums then, the, the super good guy. What's Danny. Yeah, because he's, like, he's like Daniel a Daniel pro- Adair? Yeah, and he, he, he's like like a, a prog guy, right? Like He's like he's super good outside of Nickelback. He used to work at Langley Long McQuaid. Bam. Back in the day. But yeah, uh, so uh, he had a band called Auto Switch. So it was him singing. The, the guitar player was this guy named Ramsey, who was like a, a highly uh, specialized uh, microbiologist that only knew stuff that like four people in the world knew. <laughs> and he was our guitar player. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, me on bass and uh, Scotty Sex on drums. And our, our sound guy was the old sound guy from Strapping Young Lad and, oh, awesome. and Fear Factory. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so then we went on a two month tour across Canada where uh, the, the, the manager had said that we are basically, you know, ex members and Nickelback or whatever. So <laughs> every show they charge like a, a massive amount for tickets. And of course, because no one had ever heard of us. No one showed up to a single one. Hmm. We played two months across Canada. Every small, tiny little toilet, every small, tiny little hole. And we played to bartenders 
and wait staff. Oh, and one time, one time actually, there was one table full of people who came in. There were these girls, and I think they were underage because they got kicked out before we could play. Oh shoot! Well, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, like, we were on a contract, and uh, we had to play our entire like hour and a half long set every single night, or we wouldn't get paid, no matter what. So, like, we play these shows, and everyone was hating us <laughs> and like wanting us to get out of there, and we're like, no, we have to do this. <laughs> We're under contract to play the whole yeah. set. Otherwise, you're obviously not going to pay us. Did right? you come on for like <laughs> fake encores, like baked into the set? Like, and then we got to go off and come back on five minutes later. That I think we actually did that at the beginning. And then uh, <laughs> later on, we were just like, ah, screw it. Let's just, just burn <laughs> we'll, through this. Go straight to the encore. And like sometimes the singer and I, we would like, we'd like be like, okay, well, what kind of shit are we going to do tonight? You know, because like we got to do something to entertain ourselves. Are we going to like, battle royale on stage while playing the songs are we gonna like cop our favorite rock stars moves yeah and it's like it was rough man but it, it, it was fun and uh that was the tour where uh i think i told you guys this about our, our, our manager uh we played a show in st Catharines, ontario and our manager flew out and he got so drunk that he got kicked out of the venue before we finished sound check <laughs> <laughs> so at like three in the afternoon yeah if that that's funny yeah it was, it was brutal and so uh we fired him and uh as revenge he decided to take a shit on our trailer <laughs> yeah as you do yeah <laughs> we've all been there <laughs> yeah and, and who it, hasn't exactly right you know who hasn't had a revenge poo on a trailer right that's um <laughs> just relieving yeah but the real kicker was uh, afterwards we had already made arrangements to stay at his parents' house. Oh, yeah. So we had to go stay with his mom and dad after kicking him out for pooping on our tra- – well, getting drunk, getting kicked out of the venue, and then pooping on our trailer. That's pretty funny. And that was in Ontario. That was in Ontario. <laughs> There's a reason why it's called Ontarable. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ontario. So, like, where else, like, your first impression of these cities, was this, like, the first time you've been to a bunch of these provinces, even? And you were playing these shows to empty bars? and No, uh, because with Brit Black, we toured a lot. Um, like, uh, for two years, I lived on a tour bus, basically, and it was awesome. Uh, and so I, I had been to a lot of places. Uh, maybe not so much, like, the super small towns. Yep. But uh, definitely the bigger places I had hit there before. Um. But it was it was definitely like, you know, like I coming from Brit Black, I thought it was hot shot, uh, hot shit. It was kind of like you know a wake up call, you know, like hey, wait a second, you're not that great. And then you know it, it was tough because like you know we had a lot of like heavy hitters in the band, right? Like you know the singer was in Nickelback, Scotty Sex was our drummer, who was like, he just did a humongous you know stint with Biff Naked. He was like an in demand session musician. He played with Todd Kearns in, in Static and Stereo. Okay. Um, he did some stuff with Devin Townsend. So, like, awesome. the guy's resume is pretty awesome. And then for him to be like, oh, we're going to do a two-month tour playing to nobody. It's like, oh, this is a guy who has, like, Steve Stevens from fucking Billy Idol's phone number in his phone, right? And then it's like, here, we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good feeling. We definitely played to... To nobody. To nobody. <laughs> yep, we've been there. Yeah, I think everyone has. And you know what? It's it's good for you. 
Yes. It builds character. And it, like, it's... it's the best dress rehearsal you could ever have if you can still sound great after getting over the mental trauma of being like, well, there's yeah. technically some audience, but they're also being paid to be here because they're the staff. Yeah. And yeah. if you went over the staff, sometimes that was kind of, you know, a victory in itself. And like, yeah. you guys actually sounded pretty good. And we're like, thanks. We yeah. tried. We practiced a lot to be here. The best yeah. is when the headliner wants you to play after them when they're like, when you actually do have a good draw and they're like, hey, do you guys mind letting us start first? It's like, oh, remember back when we just got out of high school playing at the Ocean Beach. I think it was State of Shock. They were asking us, they're like, yeah, do you mind letting us go first? And we're like, no, half these people, it's their school night. It snuck in. <laughs> <laughs> They knew what they were doing. They knew, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's like it, for, for the club level show, the the middle slot is ultimately the best slot. Yeah. You know, people got to leave early. They got to go to school. They got to go to work. You yeah. Know? You're lucky you got them out there. Yeah. Maybe now well, with COVID, it'll actually like because like once it levels out, people are going to miss, you know, having – like actually going to show, so maybe they'll actually show up, you know? Oh, I hope so. And I, I, I do believe so. Like, if you look at history, I know this has been said a lot, but, like, after the Spanish flu, we had the Roaring Twenties. And I know people are losing it, dying to get out there. I know I am. I, w- I want to go and be in a mosh pit, get beat up, you know? Yeah. Like, drink overpriced beer. Like, it's... it's I, and I know I'm not the only one, and I get all excited when I see down south there's all these like festivals being announced and stuff. It's like, ah, oh, I want to go. This yeah, because that's got to hurt. I feel like people are going to show up earlier and leave later for at least for a while anyways. Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, that must have been hard for you because I know you were saying like one of the next steps you kind of dreamed of coming true to her in Europe and doing that kind of stuff, right? And then all of a sudden after that, your whole like you had a whole year planned and then boom crashes yeah. right well actually i've been playing in europe for a while um so i've been playing in a band called nimvin for about 10 years and our entire our entire audience is in, in europe oh wow so we go there all the time and it's awesome but like you know um a little while ago we we played a festival in in leipzig germany and uh, we played with the creep show and there was like 600 people there we played vancouver with the creep show same show there was like less than 30 so it's like, it's like okay, well, we know where our audience is. Yeah. It's not over here. But uh, in 2019, I got hired to uh, play for Michael Graves, who was the second singer for The Misfits. And uh, I played like 130 shows in 33 countries on three continents. And it was insane. You know, it was just, it's such a great feeling to like pay your rent and like support your family with playing Playing music yeah doing your craft and it it was awesome and then like 2020 was going to be an awesome year we had planned to like go to australia new zealand japan back to europe you know always always lots and lots of stuff in north america uh just oh it was going to be great and then yeah this came and like screwed everything up and well yeah (laughs) yeah that sucks yeah it's uh that would definitely be uh, a tough one to swallow. But it's also kind of like um, it's a lesson, you know, and the, you always got to look for the lessons and uh, see what you can learn from each situation. So, for instance, like going from Brit Black, where I thought I was like this super hot shit guy, but already a rock star or whatever. And realized, you had oh, the rock star hair. Yeah, I had the rock star hair, the the, the thinning mohawk <laughs> <laughs> and the girl pants and uh, the eyeliner. Girl pants. And then um, 
yeah, having that pulled away from me and then realize, oh, wait a second, you're not hot shit. You're not as cool as you think. And then having, uh, you know, this this other opportunity taken away from me where it's like, yes, I'm finally just about there where I, you know, where I've spent my entire life working towards this. And I'm, oh, I'm so close now. And having it go away again, it's like a, it's another lesson in like, you know, to really appreciate what you have and to really, really work hard. And it's like, okay, well, what could I do better? What, how could I, you know. What's everyone else going to do? Because you weren't alone in that boat. That like that's the one thing I th- I think everyone could take from it is no matter where you were, things were different for everybody. It wasn't just isolated like the one rain cloud over just Tyler's head. Like anyone in this industry, we all went through the same thing of like, well, what do I do now? I play live. That's my thing. I do live things for an audience. And it's like the technology has come a really long way. Like I'm super impressed with the remote recording you've been able to pull off and have you been doing that as well now since you can't like jam with the band and go to see a rehearsal or do whatever like oh yeah absolutely so uh what i found is since you know everyone's at home i've been connecting with musicians that i normally wouldn't have so making these connections and yeah they're you know people are asking me to play on a lot of stuff so i started off with like a really crappy setup and it made it work i had like a, a laptop from I don't know, 2005 with like (laughs) 1.6 gigs on it, put Reaper on it, it would barely, you know, run Reaper. And like, I got like a crappy rolling interface and I was, I did an EP for NinVin with that, started doing a record for another guy with that. Um, You know, did actually quite a few recordings of that. And then recently I've upgraded to like, I got a uh, 2020 MacBook Pro uh, with a Moto M2. Uh, running a Avalon U5 and uh, yeah it's awesome so like I've been remote doing uh, the new Nimvind record I'm doing a record for these guys in Seattle called Evelyn's Casket okay um, doing tons and tons of collaborations for other people it's awesome and it's it's, it's cool to like shift gears because like I, I've done like a little bit of session work over the years but it hasn't been this concentrated like just like it's just relentless now and it's awesome that's awesome. Any yeah. hiccups you ran into along the way? Well, there's definitely been uh, learning curves, right? So, you know, learning how to edit stuff. Yeah, that, that's, that's a been, big one. That's a big one. Um, and one thing that's been, like, really tough for me uh, is, like, knowing when something's good enough. So, so when I am recording, I'm just, like, so focused on what I'm doing that I'm not really listening to what's going on if that makes sense you know i'm just like okay it's hard to be your own engineer while you're trying to actually play the part because you can't listen while you're playing objectively because you're the one playing it exactly and you're going to be overly critical or not critical and not you just don't know where you stand yeah that's totally it so uh you know i'll spend you know way too long on a song just trying to like get it perfect uh but sometimes the, the first take is all it really needs but you, if you overdo it, right? You yeah, think yeah. It, think about it too much, right? Yeah, thunderstruck. The that the the that was his first take through, and then he did a few more, but they ended up using that, and he just played that the whole song. Who it's recorded like a, that? That was uh, who played the guitar? No, who recorded? That? I think that was Mike, Mike Fraser. Mike Fraser, oh. at, at, legend. At, <laughs> at a little place called the Armory. At the Armory. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, so that's one thing when I'm recording at a studio, I, I notice that I, I'm usually like a, a one take person or at the most I do like three takes. 
because um, usually the first one has the energy and then you know the other couple might be to just like clean up a couple places but at home I'm doing like 30 takes of a song and it's like well just don't know when to stop <laughs> yeah that's the hard part and the same with like uh, even writing a song knowing when the song's done mm. that's hard it's like it could always be better it's like making a painting which I don't do but <laughs> well actually it's just like making a painting <laughs> whenever I've tried I've been like, oh, let me try this. Nope, that ruined it. Um, I was recently watching a podcast with Mike Inez from uh, Alice in Chains. He also played with Ozzy for a while. And he was talking about how it's really important to, like, set deadlines for your project. So, like, set, like, a couple weeks to write and then set, like, a couple weeks to record. And you have to be willing to, like, move on to the next step. And I think that's actually really important because, like, you can get really stuck in one spot and just, like, totally. I'm just going to keep working on this one part forever until... And yeah. then, yeah, so much time passes, you start looking at the whole project differently, and the, the song you did at the end sounds nothing like you did at the beginning, so then you start your loop again, and you're like, well, yeah. we got the sound we like at the end, now let's go back and do these first ones again, and then you get to the end again, and you're just like, well, one more time around, everybody, we figured out a new technique, this is our new sound, let's yeah. just do a couple more overdubs, and we would never be done. The exactly. uh, There's a couple guys I, I studied with, and they were saying they'd... They'd uh, they'd work on a song with a band and they they come in with their um, their rough their rough mix, and then they kind of they doctor that up a little bit and then they go okay we're gonna start on this and then they do overdubs and and go with it go with go, go with it and then by the time they they go, the clients like no like I don't like this at all let's just go back to the rough mix and the rough mix is actually what gets released because <laughs> it's it's like overthink it and and take it way too far and it doesn't need to. Well, totally. Um, like, so the last Nimvind record, uh, Saturday Night Seance Songs, uh, it took three years to mix. Really? Whoa. Yeah. Cause, that must have been one hell of a mix. Well, in the end, yeah, it sounds great. Uh, th- three of the songs are mixed by Jay Rustin, who did, like, all the Steel Panther stuff. Oh, nice. Last Annihilator. He's done, like, St- St- uh, Stone Sour, um, Meatloaf. All kinds of rad stuff. Oh, he's awesome. Awesome engineer. Um, and then a lot of stuff was done by this guy, David Irish, who's uh, like a live sound engineer in L.A. Does a lot of punk stuff. But yeah, it's just, it's so easy to get stuck into like, okay, well, I want to get this like so perfect. And like, uh, and then you start like second guessing things and yeah, just going back and forth between mixes. That album was mixed by like so many different engineers from all over the world. And it's like, holy crap, three years. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I've never, I haven't heard of anything taking that long. Well, maybe uh, Guns N' Roses. Oh, yeah, Guns N' Roses <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I remember that. So, well, like, when you record with different bands and stuff like that, did you ever have a lot of big influences from producers? Or was it the studio that you guys went to? Do you have any, like... Uh, well, for me, like, I'll just take, like, influences from other musicians with different people can definitely change how you know things come out right like people give off energy just like different uh places will give off energy like you know if you're in a cool studio you know you'll feel comfortable and you'll be able to nail it or if you're like you know with whoever's engineering it is awesome but also you you know you can also be in a situation where you can feel kind of like under the gun or intimidated and that can also uh, deliver awesome results. Kind of like the pressure's on, like that's that next level. 
Exactly. You're in front of a live audience in a way of a really elite, like you're like you're super like, oh, I got to make sure I get this right. I don't want to look dumb in front of these talented, awesome people and waste all their time. And, you know, totally. Exactly. It's like, um, so last year, um, what had happened in, in 2019 while well, I was on tour with Michael Graves, um, Nim Vind was just like sitting at home waiting for, while his band was on tour. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? He made a record and it's like all programmed drums, no bass, it's all synthesizers on it. And then when COVID hit, we were like, okay, well, here's an opportunity where we can sit down and actually revisit this. So we were working uh, with uh, Graham Tucson, who uh, used to play guitar in a Carline Crush. Nice. Awesome. Classic for Vancouver. Yeah. And uh, he also plays guitar in the Spitfires. He's a, a live sound engineer. He does stuff with Gob, uh, Dallas Smith, uh, Tim Hicks, like lots and lots of country guys. And uh, yeah, he uh, actually surprised uh, uh, Nimvin and I with like a, a surprise session at uh, the Armory. We thought we were going to go to like a, a meeting about maybe redoing some songs. And it turns out, oh, no, actually... We're oh, like the drums have been recorded by by Gabe Mantle from from Gob and uh, by the way Howie you're up right now start playing that's funny <laughs> and it's like here's the thing it's like I didn't like I hadn't finished writing my parts yet for those songs oh wow so you had to just finish them I had to like do them right on the spot bam yeah that's funny yeah did it go well you felt like it captured a good energy yeah it captured a great energy and the bass lines are awesome Perfect. you know so sometimes that works great. So you work well under uh, stress. Yeah, I guess sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes works all of the time. Yeah. And the armory is super nice. So it's just nice being in there. Beautiful, beautiful room and uh, great sounds. That board is incredible. And um, their house engineer, Spencer, is now mixing the entire Nimvin record. Oh, and, nice. And, yeah, he's an awesome dude, and the sounds he's getting are just choice. Yeah. Cause How many songs are you guys doing on that one? Uh, I don't know, because it keeps changing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a work in progress. Yeah, so, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things, right? Because we, we haven't really set deadlines, because the, the album was already done, right? And we'll, then We'll know in three years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? So now uh, there's, like, some songs we did for, like, an EP at the beginning of the pandemic that we're redoing for that. Uh, Nim has written some new songs. They're going to get added on. So like at the end, this might be like a double album. It's like, there's, a, awesome. lot, there's a lot of tunes being added to it. And yeah, we'll see what makes the cut. Are you guys looking at starting to try to think about playing a live thing now that we've got some news here that in a few months, it could actually be a reality to play another live show. Or are you guys just going to kind of wait a bit and see how it, no, we're we're fired up and ready to go. Um, oh boy. Um, so, like I said earlier, like our our our, our demographics basically Europe, right? And unfortunately, Europe right now is not doing so hot. Yeah, I think like Germany is like at like twelve percent vaccinated with the first dose. So, yeah, it's like really, gotta wait a bit. Really low. So wow. we we have some stuff planned for next year. Um, but we definitely want to uh, get out there in the meantime and fill some stuff out. So we're, we're hoping we can do some stuff in Canada, which we never, ever really hit. I think the last time we, we played shows in Canada was maybe like 2014, 2015. We did a tour across Canada with Gary Newman. Um, 
Well, that's Later. cool. He's got an awesome sound. Really dark. Yeah, yeah. Dark was... synthy kind of like I like his stuff. Yeah, it was it was super rad. I had actually uh, bought tickets to go see him playing uh, at the rickshaw here in Vancouver. The rickshaw. I was gonna say, did you guys play there too? Yeah, yeah. So it was like, yeah, I got I got to her, uh, tickets because I, me and my buddy were big fans and we were gonna go. And then, uh, then I, you know, found out like a week before the the tour started. Oh, we're on the bill. We're we're going across Canada with them. I was like, all right, oh, sweet. sounds I'll good. See the show every night then. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, that must have been fun. Oh, it it, it totally was. Yeah, it was a absolute blast. Those guys are all super super rad dudes. So. Growing up, is this what you kind of always wanted to do? Is this what your idea of success was, touring around with bands or recording on their albums? Oh, yeah. Um, the earliest thing I can remember, I was probably like five years old or something like that. Um, I was watching a Paul McCartney show on TV with, with my dad and like asking him, like, what is that? What is he doing? And then, you know, I, I'd after that, I would turn our backyard into like a stage. Like the play, <laughs> the playground would be a drum set, and like the picnic bench was a piano, and like my toy rake was my guitar, right? And it's like it's what I always wanted to do. I never really cared about being like famous or like you know being rich. I just wanted to make a living doing music, and uh, I've been lucky enough to do it like a couple times in my life, but uh, mostly it's it's a hard struggle. Um, I would I'd say if, if anyone wants to be a musician, just, just if you can, be a weekend warrior. It's 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 a lot of work. What do you mean by that? <laughs> like you got to have your day job, right? Your Monday to Friday. If you can handle uh, music just being a hobby and get all the satisfaction uh, from that, you're way better off because there is a ton of rejection, a ton of hardship. I mean. I've spent so much time like sleeping on people's floors, crashing in punk houses, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it can be tough, you know? Totally. Yeah. It's yeah. Cause I guess there's all kinds of musicians, you know? Oh yeah. There, there, there's, there's tons out there, right? There's, there's millions of them. And, uh, you know, becoming a successful musician is kind of like winning the lottery. I mean, you reach a certain point and like everyone's really good. Yeah. Yeah. It just comes, seems to all boil down to is like how hard you're willing to work. If you get lucky, you know, you're right place, right time. And then how hard you're willing to work. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to work even harder yeah. and then harder. Yeah. And it's like what you're willing to sacrifice, you know, like, uh, I never went to college or university cause I was worried that like, if I took time off to go to school, I wouldn't be available for a tour. If yeah. one came up because like uh, my old guitar player used to say the best ability is availability and it's true when the call comes you have to be ready to you go you have to be yeah yeah you miss out on some stuff for sure when you don't take that hop yeah or leap if you will yeah and that's and it's scary too like that's even too when you're trying to find opportunities when you're trying to reach out and you know say there's somebody you want to link up with or collaborate with or learn from it's hard to even ask sometimes, right? But that's, you know, it's worth it. It could open a door and get you in some project and teach you something new. Definitely. As long as you t uh, approach it the right way. Yeah. You know, that's one thing I've always been kind of worried about is like approaching someone and have them feel like I'm using them. Oh, totally. But uh, this pandemic and having like two years off has kind of like taught me that like, uh, you should just go for it, you know? Totally. 
So reach out to those people. I mean, what's the worst thing is they do say is no. And you're like, okay, or maybe they say not right now, but you know what? That sounds cool. Maybe down the line we could find a collab together and Definitely. figure something out once live stuff opens back up or, you know, you can have a, a remote jam together and you don't have to do recording. You don't have to sign contracts or anything, but if you gel with the guy, why not try something new, play some new styles and absolutely. Yeah. And that's how it all works. Like it's, it's kind of crazy how you start doing one thing and, it might open up a door to something else and then you'll learn a skill from that that kind of helps you figure something else out, you know? Like like even for us with, it starts off with Pineapple Sound, right? Like recording studio. And then we start the Steinwave, which is the piano that we have in the studio that can play itself with MIDI from anyone in the world, right? So then it kind of branches into that and then that starts making opportunities to meet new other people and kind of bringing them into the fold and then start the podcast, which is a whole another ball game. And then that just kind of has a whole another access to another different kind of section of life or music or any kind of like with this, any kind of job. Right. But then that gets you just different opportunities, right? You'll meet somebody or collab. Like we get to do the soon. We'll show the DI, the DI shootout. And uh, with the last guest, Smart Game Piano, getting to work with her doing uh, that piano video, right? Which is awesome. Oh, yeah. It's it's totally cool, you know, watching how, yeah, you know, one door will lead to another. Um, so for me, like in my music career, basically everything has like basically come from me adding the, or answering that one Craigslist ad. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Like everything I got is like, it was just like, it just kind of like continued on from that. Like I met someone from that gig that, you know, led to another gig where I met someone else and it just, it just, that's how it all progressed. That's funny. Yeah. It's kind of how we met you, but it was TJ on a Craigslist ad. Yeah. That's exactly how we hired TJ. Yeah. (laughs) So your family taught you guys answer those Craigslist ads. Oh yeah. You, you got to do it. Um, I ended up as the bass player for Green Jello through a Craigslist ad. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, the little pig, little pig, let me in. That's right. Not by the hair of my chin, chin, chin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was wild. Uh, I saw an ad on Craigslist that said, looking for two guitar players to be in Green Jello. And I was like, no, no way. Someone has somehow swindled them with themselves like an opening slot for Green Jello and is trying to put a band together. And I was like, ah, yeah, I'll, I'll go for this. This sounds awesome. And then it turned out, no, it was the real band and they needed a bass player too. So I got the gig and uh, I've done four or five tours with Jello over the years. That's awesome. Yeah. TJ was actually the guitar player for one of those tours. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. That must have been fun. How much did you play Little Pigs? Oh, Every show? Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Those shows are the most ridiculous things I have ever been a part of. Really? We would play for like three hours a night, and we would play maybe six songs. To go on, (laughs) I need a couple more details here. So, you know, we'd play some songs and then uh, Bill, the singer, he would like get some antics to go on. He'd get the crowd to do something. Of course, everyone has these big puppets, you know, these big foam puppet heads they wear and they do all kinds of weird stuff. Then you go back and you play 
you know, a bit of a song you already played, then something else happens, then okay, we're gonna play a bit of this other song, and it just kind of went on and on like that. Wow. There was no coherence to it, no set list. It was just absolutely bizarre. That's madness. Wow. <laughs> That's madness. And the fans liked it. The fans loved it. I once watched this girl. Uh, she drank a beer that was poured down Bill, who was at the time maybe 52, <laughs> poured down his his shorts because he performs in his underwear and combat boots and nothing else. No way. And poured down his shorts off his balls, and she was drinking it off his balls. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, people do some interesting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that whole section is just going to be beep, ex- <laughs> censored of, thing on his face. Beep, off of his beep. cantaloupe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Slide in the appropriate <laughs> words. Three Chantals. hours, though. That's a long gig. Were there openers or was it just you guys? Just um, here we go. This is I, us. On one tour, I did book Nimvind as uh, the opener. So oh, you did do awesome. your double duty? Yeah. Double dip. I, I do a lot of double duty. Um, it's it's a very common thing uh, for punk rock, and especially for, you know, if you got to go over to Europe. So sometimes I'll, I'll play for this other guy who lives in Connecticut named Argyle Goolsby. And so, like, Nimvind will become his band and we'll tour together around. So, it's, you know, you just save money on flights, on hotel rooms, Smart. all that stuff. Yeah. You're not booking for, like, 72 people. It's like, oh, just the six of us. Like Exactly, you know. And, you know, when you're a little band, that that kind of stuff really matters. So, totally, yeah. What? So now in the future, the plan is to obviously keep remote recording until people are allowed to do shows and get together and start touring. But then, basically, get up Nimvind out there and playing shows again. Is the main plan? Absolutely. I mean, I spent the better part of 2019 on tour, and it was awesome. I loved it, and I want to do that again. But uh, yeah, I want to do it with Nimvind, which is the music I like the most. I, I've been a fan of that band from way before I joined. That's uh, got to be a super cool experience, right? A little like totally. That must have been yeah. cool playing with uh, the well Misfits or part of the Misfits, anyways. Playing some of their songs. Yeah, it, it was super cool because like when I had joined, it was right around the time that the original Misfits had got together, reunited, and they're playing Riot Fest and doing all the arena shows. So it kind of it, it brought resurgence to the Michael Graves era. So when we were going around, and it was around, I think, the 20th anniversary of one of the records. So we were just playing his two records back to, or front to back, and people were loving it. That's awesome. It was killer, yeah. And it was like, these are songs that I used to listen to as a kid. I had like the, their poster up on my wall, and I'm, I'm playing these songs. Like, it was killer. And we're, like, we're playing big shows. I, I played Wacken. In, in uh, Germany, we played right after Slayer. No Whoa. way. <laughs> yeah, it was insane. And that's one thing I love about the punk rock, like harder rock music scene is, is like from the outside looking in, you're like looking at a mosh pit and you're looking at how like crazy violent it may look, but it's actually like the most super inclusive, like positive, everyone really does support each other sort of scene. It's like we all just want to party. We want to have a really, really good yeah, time. For the most part, I guess. Absolutely. And especially like the subgenre that I'm mostly involved with, like horror punk, it's like it's like the the nerdy version of, of punk oh, yeah. rock, right? So it's all all like the horror fans. So you'll have people making like horror magazines, doing horror movies, tons of artwork, and then of course all the bands and everyone's all supportive and they all work together. And That's it's awesome. A, it's super rad. 
And it's a small community, but it's a global community. So it means, well, I get to travel around and, and play to all these people. You know, so it's, it's so I'm not just playing around to like one city. I'm playing everywhere and it rules. That's awesome. If there was a band that you could play with other than Invent, like a future band you'd hope to get to do a tour with, who would that be? Like in the band? Like, or like, yeah, opening. you could be, you could be, yeah, you'd be in it, yeah. Uh, I always thought it would be really cool to be a part of uh, Nine Inch Nails because I, I just, I just love how Trent works and how every, yeah. all the instruments kind of like affect each other. That would be so rad. Yeah, that would be pretty amazing. Yeah. The super tight blur between the bass and the synths is just like, it gels so well. You're not quite sure what's a guitar and what's not at times. Oh, when you're yeah. just watching, you're like, wait a minute, who, what? Like, if you're trying to dissect their live show, it's really difficult. You're like, we're yeah. super, super tight, super, super cool. And they always have, like, the most top-notch players. Like, you know, Elan Rubin is an awesome, awesome, awesome drummer. Uh, I mean, they, they used to have Pino Palladino on bass. Pino yep. Palladino played with the who oh no way <laughs> you know he's playing with the who and he's playing with john mayer and, and now he's well not anymore but he was in nine inch nails they also had uh justin Meldo johnson who was uh he's a he's a pretty big name uh producer but he was also the bass player for for back for a long time and tori amos um that's quite the varied background you know yeah it's yeah. cool when you see how many people have all played together and different artists like when you're seeing a live performance you're like wait a sec it's like I think uh, the drummer for Foo Fighters, Taylor, I forget his last name, he was playing for Alanis Morissette. I yeah. saw that for Saturday Night Live. Yeah, he was playing you, for sir. Alanis Morissette. Thank you, sir. Thank you. What a guy. Thank you. Speaking of like uh, Foo Fighters, I went and saw them, and like I was never really a big fan. They're they're just not my style, but I got offered a ticket and. You wouldn't say no at that point. Yeah. Why, so, why would you say no? So I went, and it was it was actually a really good show. They did a ton of covers. They did, did a bunch of Queen songs, a bunch of Van Halen songs. It ruled. And my, but my favorite part was uh, watching Pat Smear, because that guy the whole time he's up there, he's just smiling and just loving it. He's just like, "This is the greatest thing ever." And it's like, I feel you, man. That's that's, that's that's so red. He like it he is. truly, truly, you know loved what he was doing and like appreciated what was happening and i was like wow that's awesome yeah because there's something special about playing live oh it's the you best know? thing in the world even like you know you feel nervous beforehand and then you just kind of get up and it's like you feel you know meant to be up there and it's like that's your job and it just feels natural so just kind of they go they go away oh yeah all, all your nerves go i i can be so nervous before a show um I, I'm a notorious nervous puker, mm. so my band could, would be like they could time how long it was before we were gonna go play by me puking. It's like, oh, I, I five said, minutes to go. Exactly right. Yeah. They would say that. Time to go on. How he's having a puke. It was actually 15 minutes, but you know. All right, good, yeah, good guess. <laughs> but yeah, and then like as, as soon as you hit the stage, that's all gone, and it's like you become a different person. You know, it's just like you become some monster up there. Just yeah. Like, going at it and you just feel you get, especially you you're a great performer thank you yeah uh that was kind of it was it was two things so uh when i was with brit black we had uh some people coming in and, like kind of coach us and teach us how to act on stage stuff like okay well you know if you're playing a bigger venue you need to make 
bigger gestures or like the it's people like in the theater back. style, you know, the guys that in the back sense. row, your actions have to be, you know, like they got to see you make your movements, you know? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and it's like, you don't move back and forth because no one will see that move side to side. I totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, Tyler? No, it's, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I, I got a lot of that. And then when I joined NimVind, um, we were playing these, these pretty big shows and Nim, he loves to stand center stage and just be like right in the middle of it. But we're a three piece. Ah. So where do you go when the drummer's right behind him? Exactly. Right. So I'd be on one side and then there's like a whole other side of the stage that's empty. And it's like, well, what do I do? Well, I better be on both sides at the same time. And so then I just started barreling around. And uh, people really appreciated that they, they love the show. Um, I mean, I, I hurt myself a lot, but, uh, a lot of blood on the guitars. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it, I got you were unpacking today, literally. And then you look down and you're like, and my hands are bleeding. I had strings in my backpack and we're just like, here's some paper towel. <laughs> oh, that happens all the time. Yeah. So yeah, of course on stage, just yes, I'll, I'll start bleeding like crazy. P- fans will ask me, Oh, are you going to bleed for us tonight? But it, it'll happen <laughs> off stage. That's I remember hilarious. one time we were, um, we just flew into Germany to start a tour and we were staying with the lead singer of uh, another famous or famous, another horror punk band called the Crimson Ghosts. And uh, he was so nice. He made this like super nice, fancy German breakfast for us. Like so he went all out, you know, freshly made baked bread, you know, all this stuff. So the first thing I do is I try to slice off a little bit of the bread. I end up cutting myself so bad oh, and no. bleeding all over the breakfast. The whole thing <laughs> was just covered. <laughs> and this is, you know, like I've just barely met this guy. Like <laughs> picked us up from the airport. We went to Texas place, went to sleep, wake up, and I'm now bleeding all over his fancy Shit. apartment. Yeah. Great. So that's pretty metal. <laughs> that is metal. That's funny. Yeah. What is that guar? You gotta join guar. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Have you guys ever seen Guar? I've just seen it in videos. Oh, man. Not in real life. Have you? Oh, yeah. And they are something. I don't know how they can play that well while wearing those gigantic costumes. So, yeah. And then just like. Do you think they are playing? Oh, they totally are. Wow. But like everything is like, like all their pedal boards are covered in like, you know, garbage bags. The whole venue is covered in garbage bags. There is so much blood. <laughs> no <laughs> way. Everybody gets covered in blood. There's no escape. No way. Yeah. Uh, it's so so much fun. So that, I, I highly hearing that now, it. I'm just thinking like, how did we ever do that? That's amazing and also terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. No. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever go to a Gore concert. You should. They're, yeah. they're, they are hilarious. You know, it's it's more than just the songs. It's, it is a full-blown show. I think that's, moving forward, what people are going to be interested in is just seeing everyone's been cooped up for so long. Show me something new. Show me something different. Show me the music you've been working on, and then the showmanship and the performance values are just going to be naturally amped up because we haven't seen anybody in so long. You can come on and do almost anything, and I think a crowd will be receptive to it these days. Like, yeah. We're dying to be able to watch a live show with something with like emotion, drama, theatrics, theatrics for sure. Like I want to be able to see something that's like that was memorable, one of a kind. I'll never see that again. Speaking about emotion and theatrics, should we show the bass pedal shootout? Let's do it. Okay, let's do it in three, two, one.
Okay, so first off, we got uh, the radial JDI, which uh, I consider to be like the gold standard of of bass DIs. Um, I use them a lot, whether I'm playing or sometimes when I when I'm mixing sound. Uh, they're just, you know, awesome passive box. Uh, we have a few here. We got three here that we're gonna try out and see how consistent they are uh, from DI to DI. So. Uh, Without further ado, here we go. All right, JDI number two. Now this one is the radial J48. This is uh, a powered uh, DI versus the JDI, which is passive. So this one you got to send 48 volts to it. Yeah, it, it's, it's uh, a lot more gain right off uh, the bat. Um, let's hear how it sounds. So next up we have uh, what is widely considered to be like the standard for, for bass um, DIs. It's uh, the Countryman Type 85. It's also a powered uh, DI and you can, you can put like a, a 9 volt in it or you can send 48 volt down the line. Uh, let's hear how it sounds. And this is the big mama, the Avalon U5. This uh, this particular DI slash preamp is used by like Matt Freeman from Rancid. Uh, famously, Getty Lee from Rush uses just this and uh, a couple dryers as his rig live. Um, there is a lot of options. Um, so let's go through them. So right now, this is just... Um, we have like a, a dB boost around, it's set at seven, so there's kind of like the same volume as all the other DIs going through. No tone selection, so no EQ curve, it should be everything's just flat. Let's see what happens. Okay, so next we're going to go through uh, all the different uh, settings and EQ curves that the, the U5 has. 
So um, there's de there's six different settings, I, uh, plus like a high cut. They're awesome. So let's uh, let's see what we get. Yeah, pitching. So overall, I'd have to say that I'm a big fan of the Avalon. Um, it's just got so many tonal options, and just like if you want that crystal clear, buttery, butter, buttery um, tone, you can get it from that. And it, you know, you can even like you can really hear, you know, how inconsistent of a player I am. Um, next up, I, I would definitely go with the, the J48. That's that is a super bitching full-bodied uh, DI and um, it's definitely the one that I'm gonna add to my arsenal um, but really you can't go wrong with any of these things they are all like industry standard and they rule I use them on stage when I tour all over the world when I work with other artists who are you know playing arenas this is the shit that's on the stage so awesome <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I definitely loved uh, the Avalon U5 um, that's definitely that thing is awesome and it's now going to be a part of my live rig as well um, so that's your favorite that is my favorite uh, the most versatile of the bunch oh totally and then the, the follow up one is definitely the, the radial J48 that thing just had like so much body to it it was like so crisp it was awesome and uh yeah, I, I, it actually kind of surprised me because uh, the one I've used the most is the radial JDI, and I thought that you know that's this going to be the winner because it's you know old faithful to me. But no, is your is your base does your base have active pickups or no? Uh, it's all passive. I used to play active bases, but um, because I am so violent on stage and also <laughs> very sweaty. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> combo. <laughs> Have you violent? seen that violent sweaty guy play? <laughs> yeah. He's my favorite. Yeah, I like the violent sweaty one. Yeah, so like I, I, I tend to break things and I'm pretty aggressive, so I switched to a more simpler setup. Actually, funny thing is like the other night, I um, I had a friend who brought me a, a bass to check out. his prized possession bass. And the first thing I do is smash it into the ceiling. And I saw your break. post. <laughs> I saw you talk about that. I saw that post. Are you still friends? I don't know. He left right after. Shit. Oh. I, I bent his tuning peg, and I was like, oh, I'll bend it back. And he's like, no, no, no. I don't want you to do that. And don't I was like, touch anything. And I was like, <laughs> I'll get you a replacement one. He's like, no, it's got to be all original. I got to go. Oh, no. What kind was it? That doesn't sound promising. Uh, it was a P-Bass like mine, but it's like a P-Bass special, so it's got a jazz bass pickup in it. Um, five string, four string, four string. It was a nice one. 
pretty nice one. I feel pretty bad. That happens. I'm sure he'll forgive you. Mm. <laughs> 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 he should know. He should know better. Like, uh, what were you doing when you bent the tuning peg on the ceiling? I just think, taking it off? Yeah, I was just taking it off and I put it up. And you know, it's not the first time I've put a base to the ceiling. Hurting, uh, hurting other people's gear hurts. I hate doing that. I've, yeah, I've I've done that a couple of times. I was lucky enough to buy the gear later, so it didn't really matter. But yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, I borrowed a bunch of preamps off of Dave, and oh shit! <laughs> I'm, just kidding, I'm kidding. What? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know this yet. Yeah, I definitely prefer to to break my own gear. Yeah, um, totally. Which I do a lot. Um, my main base, which I didn't bring with me this time, uh, I've I've definitely I've smashed it through stages, through ceilings, through people, through drum sets. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hardly original. It's been rewired a few times, and like everything on it's had to be replaced because it's just I'm really really rough with it. I'm I'm a rough guy on stage, and it's like you know the strap buttons won't stay on, so I have like these eye screws that are like this long cool. holding yeah, the strap in. Yeah. Do you flip it around? Like spin it around? Yeah. No, because I I play really low. Um. So if I did that, it would just go back into the stage. But I gotta play it low because. When you're playing punk rock to like get really fast with your wrist with a pick, it's like way easier if your arm's fully extended. Yeah, more relaxed. Yeah, you can't have it tense and up because that's not gonna work for Ex- exactly that right. You, you over can't, time, you, you can't be up here. So it's like the trade-off, right? So like, you know, why a lot of like technical players will play with their instrument higher is because then your your left hand Nimble. can do can go shreddy. But uh, for punk rock, it's more you know your right more of a hand. rhythm playing. Exactly. So. If you're ever wondering why are those those punk players have their instruments so low, it's not because you know they're trying to look cool. It's it's a a function thing. It could be two things. I, I guess. And it looks cool. Until you hit middle age, and then your beer gut is hanging over your instrument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like having the guitar a little higher. Nope, it's not hiding anything. <laughs> it's comfort, and I'm shredding yeah. the guitar. <laughs> yeah. It. So as far as in all your, your bands that you've you've worked with, what's like your favorite trait like with playing with other musicians? Like what what are your favorites and what is your least favorite? Favorite traits? Yeah. Like, is someone like challenge like who do you gel with? Do you gel with the yeah. drummer right away or are you more of a like Do you like when, when they challenge you? Do you like when people are just kinda easy going, laid back? Uh well, I definitely always zero in on the drummer right away. I kinda I think that's like a total rhythm section thing it's just like if you're not tight with a drummer and you're not a good rhythm section you're you're screwed totally you're basically a four-string guitar player then you know you really got to be that glue um but i've always always strived to play with people who are better than me i always want to be the worst person in the room when it comes to playing music that's fair because there's nowhere to go but up because they'll they'll lift you up with them like you just get better by being around oh yeah yeah they they challenge you musically you know like you really got to bring it right because these people they're tight they're smart they're clever they can improv they can play their parts properly yeah it's good having a couple of sharks in the tank right keep you moving absolutely and that's yeah so i always strive for that um yeah. So Howie's for hire. He's going to be the worst guy on your recording, <laughs> but he's going to do a great job at it. If you if you don't believe me, just check out that uh, that DI shootout and check out that wonderful playing I did. Yeah. <laughs> You'll <laughs> like it. You're going to like the way he sounds. 
convenient segue. One thing we like to talk about at Pineapple Sound, uh, dreams. Do you have any cool, like, do you, are you like a lucid dreamer, like on the road? Would you have like a lot of stuff going on you're trying to work through? Do you remember your dreams? Uh, sometimes I remember my dreams. Uh, I don't really have them on the road because usually by the time I fall asleep, I'm exhausted. And then I, I'm only waking up a couple hours later. Um, I, I, I often have like dreams where you return to like the same place. Do you guys yep. ever have yeah. that? Where it's like, oh, I'll go to like the, the town that I grew up in or the basement of the house you grew up in. Yeah. Uh, I've had some where like, there's like a fantasy world of like. I don't know, like a train bridge or something. It's not a real place, but I've had lots of dreams where I go to this, the same train bridge and maybe I'm on a train or maybe I'm on the train tracks. Hopefully there's not a train chasing me down the train tracks. Um, <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Or like I'll be on a boat and it's like the same boat in multiple dreams. Yeah, I do, I do think that... Um, there's there's meaning to dreams, and I used to spend a lot of time interpreting them when I was younger. I had a book that would help me do that. Um, I've since stopped doing that, and I probably should pick it up again. Did it I, help you back then? You felt? Uh, I don't think it helped me, but it it was really interesting and it was really cool to do. You know, be like, oh, well, this is this could mean this. You know, and that's yeah, like that's teeth it. falling out. It's like stress or something like that. Or, yeah, and it's like it's. it's uh, what I remember is like it's not really about like the big things that happen in dreams. It's Some about, of the little details. It's all the little details. That's the stuff. I had the, yeah. Like the best, worst, weird one the other day. Where... Yeah, when you were pregnant or whatever, you woke up. <laughs> yes, exactly, Tyler. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. I, I shared that with you in confidence. I said, whatever you do, do not bring this up on the podcast on Monday. And what do you do? You bring it up on the podcast <laughs> on that Monday. Movie, Junior. Leave it to Tyler. Leave it to Tyler. So I was in this like... Save on Foods. I don't know if you guys have ever been up to like Uptown New West. There's this Save on Foods that it reminds me of. It's like underneath the mall, so it's like underneath a parking garage. But it's the, you know it's a big window, and I'm sitting, and this is in like a weird post-COVID world where everyone's like too close together. I'm like shoulder to shoulder with people on this ledge, and everyone's walking around the store, and no one has the masks on, and their eyes are really really big, and their mouths are open, and everyone's just kind of like going. Uh, and they're like seeing each other going, oh, uh, and it started getting like really, really loud. And then everyone started bursting out laughing, like in a creepy laugh too. And it stuck with me for so long. Like I can still like, if I think about it, I'm like, I can remember so many details to this bizarre dream of being in this grocery store and thinking like, you know, um, I live around there and people are actually just like that. <laughs> yeah. I used to live in the West too. So like. You know the, exactly the, uh, the like that like sixth and sixth. The really old people are everywhere. Yeah, it's a weird part of New West. Totally. Yeah. And I had the weirdest, super, super lucid dream of this like going you, to save you, on. I'm sure you just weren't going to get your groceries and you weren't actually dreaming. It could have happened. It really. <laughs> I just remember like that's what New West is like sometimes. Yeah, you can definitely be late night, pretty creepy. I was doing installs at that Union Jack and. I remember, like, there's a guy out front just, like, hovering by the window looking into it. And uh, it looked kind of like a zombie. And I was like, don't come at me. And just, think th just thinking he was going to come and try to eat my brains or something. But could, he didn't. Could be. Speaking of New West, it's um, pretty sad about all the fires that have been happening there. And um, Oh, yeah. Uh, Heritage Grill in that club just burnt down, didn't they? Yeah. So the Heritage, like... That was my favorite bar no in all of the Lower Mainland because 
well, first of all, they were open really late. Their owner was super cool. They had good food, and they had live music every night. But it wasn't like your standard bands or whatever, right? You'd have like some weird jazz band or an all ukulele band, or then you'd have like I don't know a drag show. It was like always like really weird eclectic things, and it was it was so cool. Very new west. Yeah, very very new west. And so I, I loved going there and, and checking out the weird and the strange. And now it's gone. And I was talking to Paul, the owner, about it, and he said that you know it's probably going to be a couple of years before they can rebuild. And he doesn't know if he's going to find a new space to put it in. And he's That's thinking tough. it's like basically it's done. It's not going to be sucks. another live music venue in New West anymore. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, there's so it feels like we're getting less and less of them, you know? Well, yeah. Well, how many survived COVID? You know, not a lot. Well, we'll see, really. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, I, I know some have definitely closed down. Um in Victoria, Logan's Pub closed down, and that was like one of, I don't know, like three venues in Victoria. So like to, wow. lo- to lose one is like that's a massive loss. Well, they've been going out of business before COVID in Vancouver, like one after the other. It seemed like there's a handful left. There used to be you know, like when we were growing up, like, oh, 20, 30 places you could play, and now it's down to like five, yeah. if there's even five. For like your average rock band, rock show that you're not going to be able to play the Commodore or venue, like the big ones on Granville Street, but all those little ones there. It's uh, hopefully now, though, coming back, whoever is throwing live shows is going to be able to just like give yeah. us what we've been, what we've been missing. I, I, I foresee a lot of like underground club shows in like not traditional venues, but like just spaces rented out for whatever for the night totally yeah we've definitely got some plans coming <laughs> the, i don't know if we told you about the coop the the place nearby oh yeah you did yeah it's a crazy awesome venue it's like wicked sound stage tons of space like up to 175 or so people um bar lots of area for parking like safe nice and spaced out and uh like as soon as it's we're good to go. We're going to put on something there for sure. Nice. Something's coming. The storm's coming. If you build it, they will come. The coop. The coop. Awesome. Sweet. Well, yeah, I think uh, I'm transition. Oh, oh, one more question before oh. we, because we, we typically do this. What's your favorite local business restaurant that you like to go to lately? Just give a shout out to one of those because they're, uh, they need some help too right now. Yeah, like what's your favorite local neighborhood restaurant? Like Mom Pa? My absolute favorite um, is in Mount Pleasant. It's a vegetarian burrito place called Budgie's Burritos. Oh, yeah? It's been my favorite ever since moving to Vancouver like 16 years ago. They make the best burritos. It's awesome. I love it. It's uh, like Maine and Broadway area. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And it's just the best food. Anytime I'm in that area, I have to, have to eat there. Even if I'm not even hungry. Even you if I go. just ate, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting a burger or I mean a burrito. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, we were speaking in New West earlier, and I'll throw a shout-out to Angelina's in New West, that 
breakfast place. It's like Dutch Pannekoek style. Oh. They used to have a tiny little restaurant, and now they're just right part of the key. Huge place, amazing place to go get some breakfast. And then there's also that long tail Thai street food place just around the corner, also in the main part of the key. If you want your like pad Thai or pad siu served in like a little cardboard little box thing and just like street food style super super delicious new west is full of tons of good food. yeah you know what else is good in new west there's this lebanese place called uh wild time yes oh man that it's, it's just the best it's so awesome it's a wild time it is a wild time like, is that why they named it that or I, is it did they actually get wild i don't know if, if they actually get time that is wild i wonder maybe they grow it in the back you get it from Cisco. In the back alley. <laughs> Store there was a cafe time. in Vancouver called it Time to Indulge, and they spelled it time, like T-H-Y-M-E. T-H-Y-M-E. <laughs> 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 yeah, no. My favorite, one of my favorites would be Anton's Pasta. Oh, man. Yeah. Have you ever gotten the pen? Uh, when you eat the whole, pa- the whole bowl? I I've gone there like once or, once or twice and yeah I always finish my my plate. Mm-hmm. The, those servings are massive. It's nuts. Massive. So good though. It's like I remember the first time going waiting outside in the lineup and I'm like what? Yeah, it's like this better be good. Better waiting be good. outside. Yeah. In a lineup, what the hell is this? Don't they take reservations? Oh, yeah. No, they don't. No, they don't. You just show up and you gorge. <laughs> so good though. I got the pen. So there's uh, I just found a place called Mil- Milt Maddie's. I'm probably butchering that, <laughs> but uh, they're they're actually only open for like lunchtime hours, and they're in Port Kells, and they do their main focus is catering. So they deliver burritos to job sites and stuff like that, and they're the best burrito. Mexican food I have ever had anywhere, mm. and I—that's a burrito really challenge. That's a burrito challenge. I, challenge, right? I don't challenged Howie's burrito story. Really go eat anywhere unless we're, it's like tacos. We're we're, <laughs> we're gonna have to do a burrito head to head. That'll be a segment. I, I think that's me, another segment next to the me, DI you gotta segment. Gotta go out and do yeah yeah taco challenge. All bring, day. You gotta bring them into the studio. It. We'll eat them <laughs> yeah. at this table. Yeah, we'll we'll bring like we'll get multiple tacos, multiple burritos from everywhere, and we'll chow them down, and then. To chase them off, Carolina Reapers. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Sounds like <laughs> sounds like a great next day. We'll do yeah. it. <laughs> we'll do it at the. Uh, I'll do it though, for sure. We'll do that the next time we have a jam night here at the studio. Oh, perfect. Which is going to be soon. Oh, I can't wait. Times are changing. Things it's are coming, coming back. back. What are we to do? We have a big mask reveal. You know. <laughs> uh, you guys want to hey, know what we what look like? Everybody's face looks like. <laughs> Are you ready to have your dreams ruined? Here's the bottom half of my face. <laughs> I haven't flossed in three months. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you thought I looked like. Insert what you thought I looked like, but I don't. Actually, no. Everyone sees your Facebook profile. What am I thinking? Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for tuning in. <laughs> That's our show for this evening. That was great. You no, know, but seriously, thanks for coming on, man. It's thanks. great having you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll come back anytime. Oh. Like I said, this is, this is one of my favorite podcasts. And I, I, thanks, man. 
I am uh, a rabid listener. I appreciate it. Now you get to hear the sound of your own voice and yeah. regret it just a little bit. Be like, I sound like that? Oh, man. And I'll be like, oh, no, I told that story. Oh, uh, shit. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. And uh, as soon as we can have jam night, you're going to be the first call. Bitchin'. Can't wait. And we'll do this again soon. Cue the music. <laughs> <laughs>